Welcome to Close the Door and Come Here, a Game of Thrones and a Song of Ice and Fire podcast with heavy leanings towards our two favorite characters, Jamie and Brienne. There was a bear there, all black and brown and covered in hair. Um, I am Lot Lady Tarth, hyphen post on Tumblr. I'm joined tonight with Chicky. Hi, I am Chicky, Chickren on Tumblr. Uh, YD. Hi, this is YD, and you can find me at Yellow Delaney on Tumblr. Comma. Hi, this is Comma, and you can find me at Grammar Saves Lives on Tumblr. And guesting with us tonight is Relly. Hi, I'm Relly, and you can find me at So Very Geeky on Tumblr. Welcome! Welcome Yay. to podcast. Welcome back. <laughs> um, so with all our podcasts, um, there are spoiler warnings and there will be rape discussion and there's quite a bit of violence in this episode too. This is Game of Thrones season two, episode four. And after our discussion of this episode, we're going to do a little bit of commentary talk from season four. So a little treat to entice you to hang in there with us. <laughs> Um, (laughs) the episode opens up with, uh, Lannister soldiers. They're sitting around a fire and blowing it out a bit in the rain. Their horses get spooked. Soldiers are alerted at first. Um, just as they joke and calm down some, there's a wolf attack and you hear cries of, it's the king of the north. And then the next scene is like the remnants of the bloody battlefield. Um, we see Roos and Rob, they're walking about the field. Um, it's reported that there's been five dead Lannister soldiers for every Northman. Uh, Silent sisters are tending to the dead. Roos wants to torture some of the prisoners for information um, on Tywin's next move. Uh, they stop as a man is being tended to by the woman that we know as Talisa. Uh, Rob holds a soldier down for her while she amputates his foot. And then there's another quick scene where it's Rob and Talisa speaking of war. Um, the boy who lost his foot, and then we learn she is from Volantis. And I just want to say, Rob, Rob was so damn pretty. So damn pretty in the scene. <laughs> I have to say, because I was watching it without the commentary first, and I jotted down a quick note. I'm finding Richard Madden super attractive in these apps. Right? Right? Commentary. Um, commentaries with Liam Cunningham, who plays Davos, and Carice Van Houten, who plays Melisandre. And Carice also <laughs> mentioned that uh, she uh, she finds him pretty hot too. She calls him eye candy. And yeah, he I is. totally agree, Carice. He's looking mighty fine in these apps. <laughs> I saw him first. That was a whole lot of hot. Not calling dibs. Wait, did you say calm? I missed it. I said there was a whole lot of hot in that scene. I was going to say, go Go ahead, wax on about Roos. I love Michael McElhatton so much, and I really like... It's funny, because the scene has two big uh, divergences from the books. We've got the characterization of Roos, and then the addition of Talisa. And I really like the change from Roos in the books, who I, I honestly don't know how people were surprised when he turned out to be a traitor. And I like the way that he he's written and is played um, very much because I think it's a performance that builds. Mm-hmm. 
Um, right. And even though what he's talking about is torture, I mean, it's presented from, you could kind of see a lot of people going, okay, this is war. He's suggesting what a lot of people think of as a perfectly, I mean, I don't, but there are people <laughs> who think that's a perfectly acceptable strategy. Wait, and then each episode he gets weirder and weirder and you start to really think, oh my God, this man is a freak. I don't know. I don't think, I think he's presented as a hard-ass military commander. Not anyone likable, but not necessarily a total freak job that he is. Oh, wait a minute. Wait a minute. I don't know. That's, that's he's how literally I talking uh, about nice people. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's, I mean, that's pretty monstrous. But he's, you put, I mean, that's not but even I mean, you could, I mean like look at what's special. going on in American politics. Are they talking about flaying yeah, people? Flaying? You could... <laughs> <laughs> no, but I mean, we've had, I mean, we not so long ago had people in the military and in our intelligence services saying it was perfectly acceptable to torture people. I don't think it was, but I mean, they're probably, he comes off as this hard-ass military commander. I mean, honestly, I'm going to be really honest here. I think there's torture and then there's slaying people. I think slaying is such yeah. a bizarre category of, of heinous that... It definitely deserves more than a, a, a passing glance as far as someone's morality. I mean, like, and the fact that it's so much a part of who Ruth is. I well, mean, yeah, but I mean, it's one line, and it's not, like, Ruth in the book is overtly creepy. I mean, like, I think the way he's presented, if you saw that guy, you'd cross the street. I do wonder, though, Comma, how much of your perception of show Ruth is based on the fact that Michael McElhattan is super hot? <laughs> no, I... I mean, no, I'm saying I think it's one line, and when you're watching the show, it's very easy to miss all this stuff, particularly if you're a casual viewer, because there's like 30 characters. And it's, and you've got Rob, who's sort of like a little bit naive. I don't, I, and I'm thinking a lot of people miss that. I mean, I remember reading, um, some of the boards on television without pity and people commenting that he seemed like he was making a lot of sense. They missed that line. Book Bruce is so overtly, there's the leeches and there's the pink and all the other stuff. And this guy, I mean, I don't think people listen or watch as carefully as we do. The casual fan does not do that. Did you guys want to just go on to the next scene or did we want to say anything uh, else uh, about this can scene? We, can we, can we talk about Talisa and just yes. how, yeah, yeah. Uh, how strong, independent woman she is, you know. I, I just, I can't stand it. I honestly can't. <laughs> I just yeah. think it's, it's, it's exactly what men tend to write when they, they think this is the kind of, when they, when they think they're writing a strong, independent woman, but they're just really writing a collection of cliches. <laughs> uh, I, yeah. It's just, it's, she's strolling through the war zone. She's answering back to Lord Bolton. She has opinions, trademark, on, um, politics. You know, it's, yeah. it's just, oh, it's just, yeah, so it comes off as more obnoxious anything <laughs> as well, I think. So I think um, I know yeah, what I, the point was of, um, putting her and making her like this for show purposes, but what do you guys think the purpose was of writing to Lisa like this? So very different I from. Think- Jane. They weren't willing to make Jane Westernly a woman of color, although they honestly could have done it quite easily. I don't think they wanted to spend the money or the time setting up the whole Craig thing, and they went, ooh, Una Chaplin's really hot, let's cast her. <laughs> and then I think they thought, oh, we'll make her like a stand-in for the modern audience, asking the questions that the audience is asking Rob. And the problem is, is it doesn't work. 
And also, Volantis, if you look at a map, isn't that like the farthest east you can go? This woman got all the way from there to Westeros, which just seems kind of odd in and of itself. If she's that well-traveled, surely she would understand how this stuff actually works. I I can't stand her. She gets on my last nerve. (laughs) No, I'll be honest with you. When I first watched this, I gave it a shot. And I'll tell you why. I I could tell my opinion is that they just wrote this for the romance. They wanted a beefed-up romance for this season, and this was it. Um, I, I, I was kind of okay with it when they first started it. I mean, honestly, I'm not a, I'm not a book Rob fan, so changes to his storyline didn't bother me as much. Um, but yeah, I agree with what Riley said. She's such a contrived character that it was difficult to get into it. And then, you know, they just kind of, even though it starts off like the kind of romance that I would have liked, this kind of antagonistic thing, it gets dropped really quickly and, and like they lose all mm-hmm. the suspense in this romance almost right away. Yeah, no, which oh, happens yeah. a lot when men are writing romance. So. Yeah. To me, mm-hmm. it just didn't have a huge amount of chemistry from the, from the outset, really. I mean, to me, it was a really, I could see what they were trying to do, and I'm, I'm totally with you, Chicky. I love that <laughs> the antagonism. I love those sort of hostile, will they, won't they relationship. And you I can do? Think, do we both love that? <laughs> Does everybody love that? <laughs> I think we're all here because we love that. <laughs> Am I on the right podcast? <laughs> anyway, to me, it bland kind of meet cute for these two, and. Yeah, to me, there's just not a huge amount of chemistry. I can see, I think contrived is a perfect word for it, as Tiki said. It's like, they're trying to present her as this really strong woman that someone like Rob would, would be really attracted well, she's to. She's an idiot. Come <laughs> yeah. on, I don't know that she is an so. idiot, but it's kind of, it is, it is like what Riley said. It, it, it is a man's idea of a strong mm. feminist ideal woman as opposed to, a woman's yeah. idea of yeah. that. You know, a woman's idea would be that, that she isn't perfect. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, Talisa is, you know, out there. She's very much a do-gooder. And, and you can have characters like that. And, you know, there are certainly characters like that in this universe. But they have to have believable flaws at the same time, or, or they're just too good to be liked or enjoyed. And, and, and I think that's the problem with Talisa, at least for me. Yeah. Um, Una Chaplin is great, though, and she did really well with this part. I mean, I think mm-hmm. she did a great job. She tried. Right. I, I think it's, it's the writing, yeah. It's not just her characterization for me. It's the the lack of chemistry between her and Richard Madden. And I, I don't even know if that's necessarily due to the actors or the writing, because I feel like as opposed to the Rob and Jane story in the books, which is really quite angsty, uh, we yeah. don't really get that that conflict so much. You hear it's more like, well, hey, you're fresh and feisty. I know I'm supposed to marry a fray, but let's bang <laughs> rather than the, you know, will they, won't they, they oh, I've got, I've got an obligation to the phrase, blah, blah, blah. So if they had just yeah. banged, yeah. there'd be no problem. That's not Right, the- exactly. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I mean, yeah. you know, and I just want to, but I want to go on the record as saying I remember specifically when I watched this being okay with this change and almost a little bit excited about it. I was like, oh, where's this going to go? Is this going to be interesting? And no, I absolutely mm. was not. <laughs> it never really they went anywhere have, that I wanted it to they, go. They definitely could have rectified it in future episodes um, just by building on her character more. But she just, she just kind of, she seemed to lose characterization even. Yeah. As the episodes went on, it was just, it was really bizarre. We just, we kind of got random backstory for her without ever actually explaining how she became, really, how she came to be in Westeros, how she managed to become right. um, a 
warness, basically. I think you know, that's a really just... good point. I don't think she ever was a fully realised character, at least no. not for me. I think it goes back to why I think they made her the way they did. They built her up to a point that they needed her at, and that was just to be this, like you mm-hmm. said, this idealistic, perfect, strong, independent concept of what a woman is to these writers. They did that to that point, and that's all they needed her for. Yeah. I, I might be skipping ahead slightly, sorry, but, um, I, I honestly thought they were going to go down the route of having her, um, be a traitor, and I may, thought maybe yeah. that's why yeah. she was built up yeah. to be so perfect for Rob. I thought it was an act. Yeah, there you know, was some, this spicy Yeah, of, yeah. I yeah. saw a lot of that sort of opinion online as well, and I think it's, it's, uh, a perfectly acceptable opinion to have, because it really did feel like that they might be going that way. You know, when they had that scene where she's the letter writing. writing the letter. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. All right. And then they it didn't do anything cooler. with it, and she was just suddenly, again, this woman manages to go over, you know, one and a half continents because of this, I, I just don't like her. She's great. Yeah. She doesn't fit with the rest of the characters. I feel like the time travel aspect mm-hmm. is the least of our worries since that's just a continuing theme. In no, Game but I mean, if you did all that world traveling, for most people, you learn from that. And you... Yeah. I think... And I mean, um, she's not sitting in a castle sewing. She's out there in battle. She would understand this stuff. <laughs> Yeah. That is my favorite part. And okay, alright, yes. Bruce is a creepy murderer, torturer, sociopath dude, but he's absolutely right. What the hell is the king doing, you know, sitting on some guy's leg while this woman saws it up? I mean, this is not a productive use of your political leader's time. (laughs) I can't believe how much time we've spent on Talisa. I think she's got her due. Yeah, Yeah. let's go on. (laughs) We'll never speak her name again. Yeah, no. Hopefully we never see her again or she dies horribly. Who knows? Okay, um, so we're in the throne room. Joffrey has Sansa at his mercy. Um, He's pointing a crossbow at her and uh, he's pissed about the battle that the Lannisters just lost. Lancel recounts how Rob attacked with wolves and feasted on the dead. Joffrey orders Marin Trant to beat Sansa, but not to hit her in the face. Joffrey orders her stripped. Joffrey wants um, her to scream louder and just as Trant raises his sword, Tyrion interrupts. The Hound um, covers Sansa with his cloak. It's kind of very subtle movement. Uh, Tyrion condemns what Joffrey is doing. He likens him to the Mad King. Trant objects, and at this, Tyrion threatens Marin Trant, tells Bronn to kill him the next time he speaks. Tyrion helps Sansa up. They walk out, and uh, he apologizes for Joffrey and asks if she wants out of the engagement, and she says she's loyal to Joffrey. Um, Bronn tells Tyrion the little king is blocked up, and... Uh, we could stop here and we can discuss the next scene after this, but, uh, what'd you guys oh, think? Oh god, poor Sansa. Poor oh. Salsa. Yeah, poor Salsa. It's <laughs> you know, so hard to watch these scenes. It's, it's actually, it was a, it was a terrible scene, but I recently read this part in The Clash of Kings and it is even worse in the book. Um, mm-hmm. originally we've got, I think it's Sir Boris in the book. He was beating her thighs with the flat of his sword until they actually bled. She was really severely beaten. And belts, then, yeah. And then he actually tore down the front of her bodice so that she was naked to the waist, which presumably didn't happen in the show because of Sophie Turner's age, and I'm very grateful for that. Mm. But, yeah, it's yeah, actually right. <laughs> first in the book, so as bad as you think it is in the show. Yeah. Wow. There's there's also another part of this in the books where she's taken to the tower 
the hands. And she and Tyrion have an interesting scene together. And even though it turns out to be the wrong move, because I think she's, well, she's, she wants to be near Sir Dantos because she thinks he's going to get her home. But she manages to, like, sort of manipulate, or not maybe manipulate's a too strong a word, but to, to set it up that she's, she's taken back to her quarters. But it's a horrible scene, either way. I yeah. mean, and the way people act as she's being beaten. Like, there's Lancel, who's such a schmuck. He's mm. so self-righteous. <laughs> yeah, so. I've got to say that, and I think I keep singing her praises, but Sophie Turner is really coming into her own yeah. in these episodes. You, mm-hmm. There's some really just little subtle things that she does that really make it a fantastic performance. There's that moment where Tyrion reaches down to help her up, um, and there's just this little moment of hesitation before she takes his hand and she's got this real look of wariness on her face. It's just really well done by Sophia. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I mean, this, this for me, as shocking a scene as it is, it's more of Sansa in self-preservation mode. I mean, she's, she's playing the game as best she can to survive. And it's even more evident in the books, again, um, that she is doing pretty well at playing this game. In the books, mm-hmm. um, Tyrion's explained to her that the reason Joffrey's so angry is because Rob won the battle at Oxcross. And Sansa's saying to him, while she's saying to Tyrion, oh, yes, it's very terrible, my lord, my brother's a vile traitor, her internal monologue is, Rob will kill you all. So she's, yeah. she's still got that fire underneath that sort of stoic facade. You know, she's a fighter, and I, I do love her for that. Like, Sansa's... She's not one of my absolute favorite characters, but I think that's something I really appreciate about her. And I do like her. Yeah. Me too. Let's go on to the next So scene. I also love oh. that Bron, Bron comes up with this idea. Oh, yeah. <laughs> of course it's oh, yeah. Bron who decides that Joffrey needs his pipes clean. That's <laughs> <laughs> perfect. Oh. Can we mention oh. the best line ever, which is there's no cure for being a cunt? <laughs> <laughs> that's very true. Bron is wise. <laughs> Which I think really sums up the essence of Game of Thrones and should be their tagline. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So the next scene, um, the hound is outside of Joffrey's chambers. Inside is Tyrion's name day present. Um, they're two whores and they're waiting for him. Um, immediately Joffrey wants them to get smacked around. Um, Joffrey orders the one whore to hit the other harder and then the little twerp need for violence escalates from there. And I kept the summary very short because it's all very disturbing imagery. There's no cure for being a cunt. I hate this That's Ros and Daisy, by the way. Yeah. I I honestly think this scene is just lazy writing. It's Mm. like how to telegraph your character as a complete asshole 101. It's like, it's just it's, we know Joffrey's, you know, Joffrey. Um, we don't need this scene to reinforce yeah. it, and there are other ways to do it. It just—it's gratuitous nudity and violence. Oh, Game of that's Thrones, basically. so funny! I literally have the exact same note: gratuitous nudity and violence. <laughs> it is completely unnecessary. We already know that Joffrey is <laughs> essentially a psychopath. He's, he's got psychopathic well, tendencies. We don't need to see this lengthy scene of him torturing two prostitutes. We really did not need to see this. I did not need to see this. No. I agree. Yep. And we just you know, had I a scene. It... We yeah, just had yeah. a scene where he was being a yeah. psychopath. Why did we need another scene with exactly. naked people? Completely. No, I just think basically I think they just did 
Oh, they just Go couldn't ahead, do the nudity in the... Sorry, I was just going to say they okay. just couldn't do the nudity in the last scene because of Sophie Turner's age, so they had to have a, another scene with nudity in it. Sounds about Need it, boobs. Go ahead, I find it a little, um, I don't know, anachronistic, I guess, almost is the term that, that, you know, someone as young as Joffrey in Joffrey's world would even know enough to ask, like, the two prostitutes to start kissing one another. I mean, yeah. it felt almost bizarre to me that... I mean, how would this virgin boy who, exactly. I mean, I don't know how young he's supposed to be on the show, but mm-hmm. it's fairly young, who has never had a sexual experience, even know to ask for something like that? It just felt, I don't know, on the rewatch, it was just bizarre. I was like, how would he even know that? Like, exactly. It, it it's really not, is not. It's not like he's a teenager in modern day and he's got a stash of, like, you know, penthouse right. underneath his bed. Are you saying yeah, modern day or do you mean the 1970s? Laptop. Hello, we have the internet. <laughs> What's wrong with you? <laughs> Renaissance women. There's uh Red and Lee's manuscripts. <laughs> I gotta say that when oh god, near the end of that scene where Geoffrey comes out with that what was that thing? That that scepter? I'm not oh, sure, but I, went, I thought that was gonna be put somewhere else. But I was thinking the exact same thing. I was freaking out at that part. And yeah. I'm it's really, I, it's a really terrible thing to say that you're glad when Ross started beating her with it rather than doing what I think she was going to have to do with it. You know, I, mm-hmm. we all had that thought, so I think it was done very much on purpose. Absolutely sure done on yeah. purpose to make you think that. Yeah, it's gross, and we'll move on. Okay, so Renly's okay. camp. Uh, little Finger waits outside for Renly. Um he comes when Renly sees Littlefinger. He says, "My favorite whoremonger," which I thought was hilarious. Uh, Brienne, Renly, and Littlefinger meet inside the tent. Renly makes it clear he does not like Littlefinger, and he wants to know what he wants. Littlefinger looks at Brienne. Renly assures him that he can trust her. Her loyalty comes without charge. Littlefinger offers the possibility that Renly might be facing an open gate as to oppose as opposed to a siege at King's Landing. Uh, later on, Littlefinger speaks with Marjorie about camp. He claims to be lost. She walks with him. He noticed she uses the term my tent and not our tent with herself and uh, Renly. They speak a bit more about her marriage, her brother. Um, he calls her marriage interesting. And that's that scene. <laughs> yeah. I they most- were both well acted. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, I have well, issues with... As well Aiden acted Gillen. as we're going to get with Aiden Gillen. Right. Of course, I think Natalie Dormer's fantastic. Yeah. I think Geffen <laughs> did a really good job as well. Um, I, I, lo- I really love seeing Marge at work here. She's she's just so collected and clever. You know, you've got when Littlefinger's questioning her about her marriage to Renly. She, she completely maintains her composure, and she really only replies with a clever retort where necessary, like, you've never been married, have you? Which is probably for the best since, since the concept seems to confuse you, so. Um, <laughs> I, just, I just really love show Marge, and I think we talked about this last week and how we enjoy the way that her role has been expanded for the show so early on because, obviously, in the books, we don't really get a lot of the Marge perspective. And, obviously, I love the way Natalie Dolan plays her. I mean, how can you not love Marge in her hands? Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Okay. Most of my, most of my um, things for this scene are just about the cone she's wearing. Honestly, <laughs> <laughs> that was the weirdest outfit. It really was. It kind of reminded me of like it's... scrapbooking paper, like fancy scrapbooking paper. <laughs> <laughs> I, 
I thought it looked like one of the outfits they give the aliens in Star Trek on in the 90s. Just, you know, <laughs> deliberately odd. <laughs> like trying to make through. it look like they're in the future, but they're not. Well, that would yeah. explain yeah. Joffrey with his... Uh, <laughs> I hear you. <laughs> it's like she was um, rummaging through Guinan's wardrobe. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, um, another slightly interesting tidbit from the commentary here is that Brienne is Carissa's favourite. I just thought I should point that out. Ah, well, I like her. I knew I liked her for a reason. <laughs> Besides her being extremely hot. <laughs> there is that. <laughs> Okay, let's go on to the Daenerys scene. Um, she's in the Red Waste. Um, one of her riders have returned. Uh, he's found Karth. Um, it's three days to the east. Jorah says the desert around their walls are known as the Garden of Bones, title of the episode. And that's a super short scene, so we can discuss that a bit later. Harrenhal. Um, Arya is being led in as a prisoner along with Gendry and Hot Pie. Inside, people are being tortured. Um, a man is killed. A vacant woman who's watching it all and listening to it all says that it's her son and they've killed all her family. They take a prisoner every day. Arya lies in the rain at night saying the names of all the people she wants dead. So, how cool was Harrenhal? I thought it looked so imposing. You know, you've got these massive towers of this dark, ruined castle rising from a swirling mist, and you can hear the the cries and screams of women in the background. It really is a stuff of nightmares. I think the show did a really, really good job with Harrenhal. I I agree. I totally agree. That place is definitely cursed. Most definitely cursed. (laughs) Nope. (laughs) (laughs) It's a short scene. Uh, We will revisit Harrenhal, unfortunately. So (laughs) let's go on to Littlefinger. Um, He finds Catelyn, and she is pissed for what happened to Ned, yells at him to get out. He claims to have (laughs) loved her since he was a boy. He reaches for her arm, and then she pulls a knife on him. He asks if she ever wants to see her girls again, lies about having Arya. He fears for their longevity if they remain in the capital. Catelyn lowers her blade at this and then asks what he wants, and he says the King's Slayer. She tells Littlefinger Rob would not trade two girls for Jamie. Littlefinger says he's not asking Rob. Littlefinger then gives her Ned's bones a gift of good faith from Tyrion. Catelyn tells Littlefinger to get out. That's our catchphrase. <laughs> she knows. <laughs> Okay, so how good is Michelle Fairley in this scene? She's amazing. Right? She's wonderful. I love her. Yeah. She's amazing. She's, you just, what she can do with her face is incredible. There's that part where Littlefinger mentions her girls, and then again when she's given Ned's remains, and she's just, can't even describe how she looks. It's like this overwhelming sadness. There's so much in that look. What a star she is. What I love is just when she closes it back up and she's just like resolved. Okay, I gotta move on. I got shit to take care of. I have no time for this right now. You know, in the commentary, Carice and Liam spend a fair amount of time trying to determine what was in the box. What? (laughs) Liam Liam thinks it's Ned's ashes and Carice thinks it's Ned's head. Oh my god. Well, I had two notes for this scene, one of which was about um, Littlefinger's rather dubious wardrobe choice, which just looked, I don't know what. I didn't even notice. What was it? Really? I was more concerned with his He's got that sort of mandarin collar, very severe thing, and then that very strange sash, which is not a sash. It's almost like 
I don't even know how to describe it, but it was just sort of a, oh, that is not attractive. You should not wear that again. And he does. Well, um, and then my second comment was, dude, who the hell proposes to someone over the bones of their dead husband? <laughs> little finger does come, a little finger. And then well, it hit me that Chicky is always saying that this man is not as smart as he thinks he is. And I'm like, <laughs> yep, here's proof. <laughs> yeah, I, look, I've got to say, I just really, really hate Littlefinger's portrayal in the show. I just loathe it. In the books, he is at least, uh, I mean, yes, he's not as smart as he thinks he is. I agree, even in the books, but at least he presents as a somewhat capable manipulator in the books. In the show, he just seems fairly inept at everything. And in this scene, he seems more like a puppet of Tyrion's than anything else. It's just, look, I don't know. I just dislike pretty much everything about Littlefinger in the show. I dislike the way Aidan Gillen portrays him. I dislike his writing. Less little finger, please. <laughs> I saw Relly yeah. trying to jump in a couple times there. You got something to add? Uh, um, no, I was just going to say about the sash and mandarin collar thing being a pretty stereotypical villain's outfit. <laughs> it just seems to be telegraphing his intentions there. It's basically like, you know. You can uh, wear something just, like that. Yes, yes. So I was just going to say Flash Gordon, kind of. You know? <laughs> yeah. He just needs a longer moustache to twirl. <laughs> yes, yeah, definitely. pretty much actually. And a pocket and I mean, he's watch. He's already got this sort of <laughs> and a cat, and a cat, a cat on the lap, <laughs> and a metal arm. Oh wait, that's Jamie's. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> All right. Anything else to add before we go back to Heron Hall, ladies? Nope. Yeah. Everyone oh, wants to go back to Heron Hall. Let's go to Heron Hall. Um, so we're with Arya again, and the other prisons are awoken. Um, one is chosen to be tortured by the mountain every day. Hot pie stares straight ahead, employing <laughs> tactics used by another prisoner who's told him it's worked in not getting picked. It doesn't work. He gets selected. Hot pie pisses himself. They are torturing prisoners in search of gold and silver, and they are also asking about the brotherhood. Um, when the prisoner who's getting tortured doesn't know, oh, this is when the torture starts, they put a rat in a bucket and they set it to flame on his gut. Now, um, look, can you tell me, someone told me that this rat torture was, there was a similar form of torture employed in the movie Too Fast, Too Furious. I feel like Mr. Lot was... It was! Yeah! <laughs> <laughs> it was, it was used, I think it's in two. I don't, I hate that I know yeah. that. <laughs> You know what? They're really proud of this torture chair that they came up with, this rat thing, because um, they had, I, I wa- I've been watching it um, on my computer on HBO Go with the extras on, and they had like a whole extra just on how they built this rat oh, torture oh. chair. <laughs> they really were happy with it. Well, you know, the tickler seems to be really enjoying it because he's just sitting back having a snack, enjoying it. <laughs> I don't know who that actor is, but he was great. He's good. Yeah, he is good. He is good. I mean, isn't, this is the thing that we've been discussing throughout these episodes, how good the sort of smaller parts um, have been cast. They really do a great job with those. Except mm-hmm. for, it's got to be said here, oh, Mountain the- Number 2 is probably the worst yes. mountain. Terrible. It's not and not at all frightening. I was going to say, it's not just a physical thing either. I don't think in terms of acting he's great. But yeah, just his physical presence, he... He's, isn't he, he looks smaller than Brienne for a start. He looks kind of thin and... Yeah. I well, know. I thought Armory Lorch was him last episode. I couldn't even tell. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we shouldn't, we shouldn't be guessing who the mountain is. We should know. Right. We should. Let's blame them and not me. <laughs> Good idea. 
<laughs> so Arya uh, adds Polliver and the Mountain to her list later on in the, that night. Uh, the next scene is Stannis and Renly. They're meeting on a hill. Uh, Catelyn is there as well as Brienne, and she's wearing her cute little Hitler uh, helm. <laughs> Renly oh makes <laughs> Renly oh makes God. fun of Stannis's new banners. Um, one glimpse at Melisandre, and Renly says he gets why Stannis turned religious. <laughs> <laughs> Melisandre tells Renly he should be kneeling. Um, you know, Stannis is the one the Lord has chosen, and he's born of salt and smoke. And then we get that you know what is he a ham comment from Renly. <laughs> Catelyn chides them for bickering like little boys. Stannis wonders how Catelyn can side with Renly. Renly tells him, no one wants to you as your king. Um, Stannis, except comma, and a bunch of other people, to be fair. <laughs> Stannis tells Renly to strike uh, his banners, and then he'll take him back, give him his old job on the small council, even make him heir until his son is born. And I don't know, it seems reasonable. Take the deal, Renly! Take the deal! <laughs> yeah. Renly refuses. Considering what it's the Stannis. sun is going to turn out to be. Uh, yeah, well, isn't it? It's very yeah. reasonable for Stannis. So, yeah. do we just all agree? I honestly think they had completely written Solis and Shireen out at this point. I think they yeah. didn't intend yeah. to bring them in. I think right. it was a talk that they had with George mm-hmm. that made them actually put them in the series. Yeah, which really yeah, makes I don't fun think about Endgame for uh, Shireen, doesn't it? Yeah. They just said that that extra playing his wife, and even that was kind of an afterthought. And there's no mention of Shireen at all. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and um, then compare it to season three and season four, where they really make an effort to bring Shireen herself in. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's it's Which quite is a change. Interesting to me. It's interesting. To well, me. clearly, yeah. I'm I'm pretty firmly in the camp that Shireen is probably the one on the Iron Throne at the end. I think I, she's going to survive, and I think yeah. she's going to get it all. I agree. I hope. I hope so. <laughs> I don't know how much of that is me hoping and how much mm-hmm. that is, is based on, uh, it's based on logic, but yeah, I hope so. I have, logic. I have one, this is gonna surprise you, it's a Stannis scene and I only have one comment to make, and it isn't even about Stannis. What? Get out. Antlerhelm? It has to do with Renly's sigil, which in the TV version just looks exactly like Bullwinkle. <laughs> that's all I gotta say. We're gonna talk about missing Peach, Tom. I thought that's where I was you were going. Say, I, there was that whole Peachgate thing that happened after <laughs> this episode aired because people were really upset that it wasn't included. Um, in the scene, yeah. Renly's in the books. Renly's eating a peach, and this is something that after Renly's death really haunts Stannis. He actually, I've got the quote from the book. Um, he's, I think he's talking to Davos, and he says. Renly and his peach. In my dreams, I see the juice running from his mouth, the blood from his throat. If he had done his duty by his brother, we would have smashed Lord Tywin, a victory even Robert could be proud of. Hmm. And this really caused an uproar in the fandom when there was no peach. Um, <laughs> you gotta pick your battles. But I don't want to pick it. I mean, I don't really care. But I just, yeah, I mean, we we wonder why the the producers completely wrote off book readers, and it's things like being angry that the peach wasn't in the scene. Right? Yeah. Think. Come on, guys. I'm far angrier just, about other things. This is not. I don't care about some fruit. You know, he's not eating a peach. What did you call I him? Uh, I'm sorry. That was terrible. <laughs> Jamie's a rapist. Where's Renly's peach? <laughs> oh, I actually really love this scene. I, I mean, I love both Renly and Stannis, so of course I'm going to like it. But, you know, we've got, we got these two brothers. They really know how to push each other's buttons. And, and you can see just how much Renly resents Stannis. The, you know, oh, yeah. he must really resent his coldness. And 
presumably the lack of affection that Stennis would have shown Renly as a child. And well, and you, I I'll, think, go ahead, Connor. No, I was going to say it, part of that is the backstory, which we'll never get on the show, but mm. it's that you know he adored Robert, who ran off to be with, um, well, to Squire. It wasn't like he ran off, and Stannis was pretty much you know, in charge, and they lived through the siege together, which mm-hmm. I think d- kind of defined who both of those two men were. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's just so much... I mean, this is what I love about the Baratheon brothers. There's all this angst and mm. lost potential, and, you know, it's... They're never going to... And I understand how that is really hard to translate to the screen, but, I mean, I, that's part of it. Mm-hmm. And the resentment, Robert's the popular one, Stannis is the one who's actually doing the work, you know, that kind of thing. And yeah. how, you know, it's like, it's like a parent, like, you know, you got the one who spoils the kid and the one who's a disciplinarian and the kid tends to go for the one who spoils him. Yeah. I think that's some of the dynamic with Renly and Stannis. I'm and Stannis curious. has absolutely no people skills, so there's that too. <laughs> yeah, and you know what? That's interesting because I was curious. I don't. I know we shouldn't probably spend too much more time on this, but I'm curious to know what you thought about Stephen Delane's delivery here because it it was a little bit stilted. But I I wonder whether you know whether that's a deliberate choice or not. I think it works for the character regardless. I mean, he is cold and pragmatic. You know, he's he's not meant to rise to the bait that Renly's throwing out. So you know, he kind of he's kind of like you know, do this, 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 and this, or I'll destroy you. It was just a really sort of, um, I guess, unemotional delivery, which I think is is fairly accurate to the character. I mean, what do you think, Connor? Do you think Stephen Delane's doing anything? Yeah, I, I, I don't love this scene, but that's, I think that's part of it. I think it's also that the character's just supposed to be like, you know, he's ready to go. Mm-hmm. And this, he's got to be firm here, and there's no negotiation. He's... He's presented, which is actually a very good offer, and it's really too bad Renly didn't take it. Mm. Um, but Renly, of course, has no way of knowing that. Renly's got the Tyrells, he's got the Reach, he's got most of the Stormlord, or Stormlords, the Stormlands. Um, <laughs> Stormlord. So, I mean, yeah, to I his mind, he's in the stronger position, and of course, that's... It's in the bag. Well, yeah. Yeah. yeah the people he doesn't know about his uh, quote-unquote <laughs> nephew. <laughs> we'll get there. We'll get there. Smokey Baratheon. Smokey Baratheon. <laughs> Smokey the JJ. Okay. Uh, let's go to Cart. Run to Daddy. I'm dying to get there. Yeah, let's go to Daddy. We all love Daddy. So we're at the gates of Cart. Okay. We're at the gates. We're at the gates of Carth, and Daenerys is met with soldiers and closed gates. The 13 merchants of the city are there, and uh, they demand to see the dragons. Well, they want to see the dragons. Danny refuses. They turn to leave her, and Danny loses her temper. She becomes outraged. She threatens them all with death and promises their city will be the first to burn. <laughs> One of the 13, I can't remember the guy's name. If anyone remembers, help me out here. Zara is being played by Nicholas Blaine. So we're not talking about Zara yet. Yeah, thanks. You're talking about the guy who basically, like, totally he cuts his hand. She says into like, no, that's Zara Zoe and Texas. Talking about the guy that cuts his hand. The The guy who's just basically like, honey, we don't need your shit. That's the Spice King. No, not him. Talking about the other guy. The other dude. (laughs) All right. Anyway, other dude speaks up. He wants to let her in. Um, He invokes some eye 
basically taking responsibility for her and her people while they're in the city. The gates open. They are free to go into Karth. So that Targaryen temper. My oh, my. God, Danny. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. Just show them. The <laughs> I understand that she didn't show them because they don't have the budget for the CGI, but just show them the dragons. <laughs> like, it's like yeah. dragons or death. Tough choice. It would have been they... hilarious if she was just like, it's not in the budget. <laughs> <laughs> we spent all our budget on Smokey the JJ. <laughs> We've used up the CG for this episode, okay? <laughs> oh, yeah. It just turns into Danny yells at her problems until they go away. <laughs> yeah, that's good. Badly. That- yells badly. It's not even well acted. It's horrible. Oh, God. Well, <laughs> speaking of that... <laughs> <laughs> oh god, is that gonna future kid? I had a brief exchange yesterday when I was Love telling her that I was watching. Love her. Oh, been, I'm gonna get so grounded, you guys. Um, anyway, Chicky, I'm watching it and Chicky asked me, how does Danny's wig look? And I said, ratty, but fairly fitting for her circumstances. And then I added, it also emotes better than she does. So, <laughs> <laughs> that sums up my feelings on this scene. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, you guys can't you know, help yourself. I, I gotta say, though, I honestly think this scene was full of overacting, so I don't know that Amelia necessarily stood out. <laughs> this was not, this was not, this was not a scene full of amazing talent, uh, in my opinion, so. Finally, the classic's falling down. The, the Shumai yeah, guy, except that's not, that's a dumpling. Um, the guy who cuts his hand. That's the one. Sorrow, yeah. I don't know who that actor is, but he is not good. <laughs> well, you know what, in the books, correct me if I'm wrong, but isn't he this, like, really pasty gay dude in the books? Yes. So yes. The, like, poorly the, went the other end of the spectrum. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, they basically presented him in the... I don't even think it's him. I think the Spice King is ridiculous, just kind of sets the scene as ridiculous <laughs> from the beginning. Talk yeah. about cartoon yeah. villain. I'd, like really? I'd like oh. to try and explain it away by saying that Karth is meant to be this really ostentatious, over-the-top everything, and that accounts for also the over-the-top acting. The acting. But, Eh, I think I'm reaching. Uh, no. just, I was actually just, just sitting there watching thing. this, going, do they show the boobs in the show? Like, I was much more interested in something like that happening in this. Oddly enough, no. And you would have thought they would have been all over that, but no, they right? don't. Isn't that, yeah, that was a really weird thing. Why didn't they do the, the one boob dresses? It sounds right it's up like, game. We could have totally dispensed know. with the, the torture of the two prostitutes. And then they could have had their boob quotient to spare. Right? Give <laughs> me my one boob dresses. Come on. I'm in charge. Where's all my the, one boob dress? All us book nerds just wanted to be able to tell people who are outraged by the show boob over usage. Well, actually, in the books, they dress like that. <laughs> <laughs> so back at Heron Hall, yay! Um, the heads of the tortured dead are being put on post. Gendry is called upon. Um, he's asked the same questions. You know, where's the gold in the village? Where's the brotherhood? A rat in the bucket are brought out, and then the torture is interrupted by the magnificent entry of Tywin Lannister. You know, lot. I've actually got it written down as regal motherfucker on his. Yep. <laughs> It's no wonder that Kama fell in love. I mean, she already liked Charles Dance. Yeah. I mean, like, it's no wonder people love Tywin so much on the show. He, like, gets, like, a fucking hero's welcome everywhere he goes. Like, look That's at the entrance that gets here. Out of me. He might it on a white horse, Chicky. I mean, no. Yeah. Damn it. Even his, his, his armor, that 
beautiful shock of red cloth across his chest. Just, yeah. No, why does this show feel the need to humanize their villains to the extent that it makes <laughs> them completely out of character feels? Why? No one knows. You didn't think, because I mean, to me, he's a very, that's the, what is that trope? Evil, like the practical thing, like the only sane employee. To me, that's how that read, that whole scene. Like, he's like, why are you torturing these people? This castle's falling apart. I need these people put to work. But it's not a humane thing. It's not like the needless. But the problem is, the guy, the evil guy who's like that normally isn't also charismatic. Yes. Um, it's the combination of all that that is just, it just makes this hard to, I mean, for a book reader, it's just well, hard to take. If you cast Charles Dance, you're gonna get charismatic. I mean, that's not, just, yeah, how no, that it's casting. Well, you know, it, that's not even really my issue. I mean, it's not really this scene. This is just kind of the beginning of the issues I have with, with Darwin's portrayal. So, I mean, I don't really have a huge issue with the fact that he's, he's a clever guy. You know, of course, they can use all these able bodies to help run the castle and fix the castle. That's not really a huge issue I have. Um, he, well, yeah, after he asks, you know, why aren't these people being put to work? He asks Gendry if he has a skill and he says Smith, so saves him from the torture. Arya is chastised by a guard for staring too hard and he says that he'll cut her lungs out, boy. And then Tywin calls the guard an idiot, immediately identifies her as a girl. Tywin asks for Arya to be- Raph, right? Is Raph the guard that, that Tywin's yeah. having it out yep. with? Yeah, Raph so, the sweetling. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm pretending like I know. Yeah, I believe so. Um, Man, I can't wait for Tywin to become BFFs, you guys. I can't either. I love that, and I'll go to the map for that. I'm just saying. So we end with Tywin asking for Ari to be brought to him. Uh, He needs a new cupbearer. That's the end of that scene. And, of course, oh, you go ahead, Belly. No, I was just going to say, it's so obvious that Arya is a girl. It's just kind of weird that... Tywin is literally the only person to notice it. It's like she's yes. obviously a girl in the TV series. It's not. Yeah. There's no doubt about it. I mean, she has breasts. She <laughs> has feminine features. And these guys are that stupid? Well, maybe they are. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Let's go to King's Landing. Uh, we have Lancel. He's delivering a message to Tyrion from Cersei. She wants Tyrion to release Pycelle. Tyrion invites Lancel in. Lancel denies the invite, calls Tyrion an imp, and he attempts to leave. Tyrion um, lures Lancel back in with his words, comments on how much Cersei must trust him. Tyrion smells lavender oil on Lancel and accuses him of being um, with Cersei in her bed. Uh, then he throws Joffrey's name around a bit. Um, the wind goes out of Lancel's sails at this point. He sits down and he claims it's not his fault. He starts kind of whimpering a bit. He was told by Tywin to obey her. Tyrion taunts Lancel heads off for, when he heads out for the door that he's going to tell Joffrey. Lancel begs for mercy, says he'll leave the city at once. Tyrion says no, he wants Lancel to continue to stay close with Cersei. He wants to know everything she does and who she speaks with. Um, before Lancel leaves, Tyrion agrees to release Pycelle. Did you guys notice in this scene that Eugene Simon is, like, stroking his sword the exact same way that, that Nikolai Kostrado did all of the first season? I think it's part of that whole, he's no. like Jamie Light, you know? Like, no. He's, literally he's like, actually, um, that was actually dressed like Jamie as well, I thought. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah. That's what Cersei's doing. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah well, I'm sure. Well, we know that Lancel wants to be like Jamie. So That's true, it, too. It all fits. I, I really it would be interesting to hear how old they are portraying Lancel to be on the show. He's so young in the books. It's hard to tell. You know, I in the commentary, Carice actually says that she thinks Lancel is too young to satisfy the Queen. And then Liam, <laughs> Liam actually says, well, you know, just have stamina, at least, if not technique. <laughs> He's he's like 16 by the Blackwater, I think. Lancel's so young. He's just a baby. How old was Eugene Simon? I assume he's in his 20s. I think he's fairly young. I think Uh, he was maybe like 19 or 20. He looks young. He he does look very young. He's 22. So now? This was what? Yes, it's now. Oh, yeah. So we're 1992. So he was a teenager then. I'd say 19, yeah. Oh my god, he was born in 92. I'm so fucking old. I refuse to believe that people born in the 90s are now, you know, basically adults. Screwing the queen. I refuse to believe people in the 90s are screwing the queen. So, <laughs> Stannis and Davos, um, they're speaking on one of his ships and, um, they speak a bit about Davis's finger bones and how it, uh, well, he says it was a just punishment. Stannis wants Davos to be a smuggler one more night. He's to take Melisandre to shore. Davos objects and he says there's cleaner ways to win wars. <clears throat> and, uh, Stannis is like, well, cleaner ways don't, cleaner ways don't win wars. Wow, I butchered that one. Anyway, Melisandre and Davos are in the rowboat. They're making small talk when they pull ashore. Melisandre teases him about him wanting her. They go into a cave. Um, they're led by Davos and his single lantern. He inspects newly installed bars, blocking their passage. Meanwhile, Melisandre is getting naked, and she's preggers. <laughs> Davos turns and says, gods protect us. The lantern glows brighter. Melisandre goes into labor. And <laughs> what did you call it? Shadow... Or no, Smoky Baratheon. Smoky Baratheon. That's the perfect, by the it's way. Not, I it's love not that. my invention, I have to say. That's that's something that. Who's is that? It goes the internet. Way back, yeah. It's really that. good. I like it. Smoky Baratheon. It was Kyle that mentioned it to me a few days ago. So, yeah. <laughs> but it's from the internet. Uh, so props oh, to Davis. Can we just talk about about. about Van Houten's body because it's amazing. amazing. I never, I'm, I'm always like, no wonder she's just happy to do nude scenes. I mean, she is gorgeous. Yeah. Like, I'm a totally heterosexual woman, and my god, that <laughs> yeah. woman is so hot. I'm into it too. I'm into it. Also, a totally heterosexual woman. <laughs> this is what really it's like to be a dude, bro, guys. Yep. <laughs> high five, baby. High five. <laughs> There's a really funny bit in the commentary, if I'm remembering correctly. Yeah. And YD just listened to it, so she'll probably be able to correct me. But I think, you know, she had the the pregnancy prosthesis on and all that. And Liam Cunningham thought the boobs were part of it. <gasps> and actually, like, felt her up and didn't oh, realize. Oh, God. <laughs> Fill her up. Um, oh, did I got it wrong? Well, I mean, it's, it's similar. Carice walks in with her giant belly and she actually lifted the bottom of her robe to show Liam. And Liam says, let's see the tits. So Carice actually oh my took gosh. it out. And Liam's like, oh, they're really good. And she said, they're mine. <laughs> so, yeah, poor Liam said he was really impressed by that. But I have to say, Carice is a damn trooper in this scene. Um, in the commentary, it's, it's a night shoot. It's, it was super cold and she's naked in this cave. 
with all these guys around Could you her. Imagine? She has tubes sticking out of her for the belly because I had to inflate it and, and do things to it when she's giving birth to Smokey. Um, so yeah, she's, I think she did such a fantastic job just considering uh, her circumstances. I can't imagine a more uncomfortable position to be in as an actress than that scene. That's crazy. A really vulnerable position to be in, and I think she just did a really great job with it. Huge well, it's props. like the that you make with your body when you're simulating giving birth. Wow. What was that, Chicky? I'm sorry. I just talked over everyone. Go ahead, Chicky, and then we'll go the back. Motion, the, the, like the movements you make with your body when you're simulating giving birth to are not attractive, so it is really brave for a woman to just be completely nude and just out there with it. Why? And she's so this way. She does a really great job. And not only that, but they've got that, uh, you know, the CG baby to react to as well, which I believe that's huh. pretty much a pole with a ball, a ball on the end or something. <laughs> yeah, they, they did pretty well with that, I think. It's a, well, oh god, this scene, I, <laughs> the reaction on the internet to this scene was really something for the people that hadn't read the books. And even for the people that had read the books, I think everyone agrees it was pretty damn well done. What were you going to ask? This is Palmer? the kind of scene that will make or break, you know, a fantasy, you know, yes. movie or TV show. And yeah. because they had such amazing actors in this scene, they managed to pull it off. I, I mean, it, this could have been completely ridiculous. The CJ also was actually very good, I thought, for, for Smokey yeah. Baratheon. I think that's it. It was, yeah. You're going to add I think something? I remember watching this and I saw a comment um, somewhere where someone went, I don't think that's what Stan has had in mind when... When he was talking about his son. My only son. <laughs> Make daddy proud. I have to say, um, I have to say, oh, props to Davos, um, as he was like watching this happen. He didn't run. Like, would you not be getting the fuck out of there so fast? I think he was actually rooted to the spot. He was just like, no, no, no. This is not happening. This is not happening. <laughs> Yeah, that's the end. I had that's... seven kids, and I didn't see any one of them being born, you know? What <laughs> yeah. a time to God, be present. I it wasn't like this. <laughs> so that's it. That's it for the episode. Um, but we have a little bonus bit here. We're going to discuss a bit of the commentary from Oathkeeper, um, which was episode four of last season. And it's with the director, uh, Michelle McLaren, and cinematographer, Robert McLaughlin. Now... I haven't actually watched this or heard this. <laughs> I've seen a lovely gift set. <laughs> yes, we have an amazing gift set by um, Virgin Who Cannot Drive on Tumblr, who did a fantastic job getting that out for all of us to look at. <laughs> so thoughts? It's pretty much just gushing. <laughs> I mean, it's pretty much just Michelle McLaren being the biggest fangirl of Jamie and Bria that there is. I feel like we should try and get her to guest on this podcast. And, uh, yeah, she is... Clearly a shipper. <laughs> I mean, well, I've, I've, I've heard, I've seen the commentary, I've heard the commentary, and it's, the tone in her voice is quite something. She's, when Jamie and Brianna are sort of saying goodbye, she keeps saying, oh, oh, look at her face. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. So she's one of us, basically. <laughs> one of us. One of us. <laughs> It's so great because Michelle McLaren, Michelle McLaren on the season three commentaries, um, she, she is the one who directed, um, The Bear and the Maiden Fair, which is, you know, famously the goodbye scene between, uh, Jamie and Brienne and Heron Hall and then Jamie going to jump into the bear pit to save Brienne. And she, um, what, what was it she said in that episode? She said something like, you know, we, we are, we may be 
setting up something for later fantasy yes Uh, um and and hinted very broadly at a romantic relationship between jamie and bran and then we get to the oath keeper commentary and she is baldly saying that this is a romantic relationship (laughs) she says flat out that brienne is in love with jamie she says that she thinks jamie's in love with brienne she calls it a romance she calls it a sweet romance yeah yeah she calls it a sweet romance and then she says that they shot it as if these were two people who love each other saying goodbye forever i mean this is just clearly the production staff saying that they have deliberately set everything up with Jamie and Brienne to be a romance, yeah. which is a nice confirmation yeah. for those of us who've been reading the books forever and waiting to hear someone say exactly that, mm-hmm. because there are people who completely miss that this was, is what is going on with Jamie and Brienne. I should clarify yeah. that while she does say, you know, we shot this as a goodbye between two people who, who never think, who love each other and never think they're going to see each other again. She does say that. She thinks they'll see each other again in the future. I mean, obviously, she, <laughs> she can't comment on that, but <laughs> sorry. Yeah, that's not what I'm paying attention to. I'm paying attention to the fact that she shot it like two people in love. I mean, no, like, which only, is exactly how we all saw it. I'm only saying that because I did see on Tumblr some people were concerned initially that, oh, what, they're never going to see each other again because she did actually say, uh, uh, I think McLaughlin actually says, I got a real sense here that neither of them think they're ever going to see each other again. It's, yeah, I mean, it was obvious when they yeah. shot season four that they had every intention of reuniting them. Yeah, <laughs> sure. Obviously. Better be right. And oh, can we also say the part that I really love, which is where Michelle talks about how they've gone through so much together and they saved each other. They saved each other's lives, but they can't say it. <laughs> it's like, oh, it's so true. <laughs> they did save each other. <laughs> I'm sorry. Oh, I love you guys no, so much. No, I'm so sorry. No. Of course, in the vein, in the vein, it's interesting that we had Rob and Talisa in this episode of this podcast because there are people who think that this Jamie and Brian romance has been invented by the show the same way that, that <laughs> you know, the Rob and Talisa one was. So. There you go. Get out. Just go. <laughs> oh, I'm not. Uh, seriously? Oh my god. <laughs> perfect. That's a perfect ending. I like that comic gets belligerent when she's tipsy. Mm-hmm. Love it. <laughs> Them hot toddies. <laughs> so, um, we had another big coup for the podcast this week. We hit 40,000 hits on our, our, uh, Podbean. Oh, crazy. Thank you oh. so much, everyone. I just, <laughs> I've got to give a shout out to all our, our fellow shippers on Tumblr because I think without you guys, we, you know, we probably never would have gotten this far. So thank you so much for just continuing to support us and for continuing to, to send us those little little notes of, of thanks. It really does, you know, just brighten our day and it makes us feel like we're, Somebody's we're kind listening. of... Somebody's <laughs> Yeah, we're, we're, it's nice to know that we've got this little community going, that we're sharing, you know, this <laughs> this love of Jamie and Brienne with, with other people. It's really nice. Yeah. Oh, sincerest thank yous to everybody who listens and takes yeah, time to nice. review, send messages. That's, that's the best. Thank you guys. Really do um, make it worthwhile. Yep. It's not, it's not easy being this pretty and we, we appreciate you uh, letting us know that you love it. <laughs> <laughs> well said. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> so let's, uh, do we have any thank yous? Can we acknowledge some people today? We, can. Yes, we can. Um, I've got one. These are all from Tumblr. Um, I've got one that was actually from last week, so it's referring to not last week's episode, but the one before. Okay. Uh, from Crystal Rose 29. 
Uh, and she says, another wonderful episode, ladies. You are all quickly becoming my best travelling companions. Aww. I was coming home from Raleigh this evening with my man, told him, don't fall asleep. He starts snoring, so I drowned <laughs> him out with your voices. Love you all. And oh, we you're welcome. You <laughs> so much. That's great. Um, I love that. So the next message is from the lovely Guile, who, got to say, has been one of the biggest supporters of this podcast and also, you know, <laughs> guested on this podcast. Yeah, also one of our times. biggest podcasters. Right. Pretty She's much probably regular. pretty much the fifth Beatle at this point. She is the fifth closer to her Taking so much advantage. Yeah. <laughs> um, she says, hey, ladies, I just wanted to comment on that iTunes review. She's referring to a review that we received last week. Oh, which, which one's that? I don't recall. We need oh, to stop giggling like 13 year old virgins. So that's what <laughs> she's referring to. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. You're doing it wrong. You're doing it wrong. Get out. Anyway, I am a 13 year old virgin. Like, what am I supposed to do? She says 13 year old virgin. Like, it's a bad thing. Anyway, girl continues. Uh, personally, I love the fact this podcast covers A Song of Ice and Fire and Game of Thrones in an intelligent, thorough, and lighthearted way. It's a rare podcast that combines genuine insight with humor. You giggle, I giggle with you. Oh. While that review had some positive things to say, I really thought it was quite mean-spirited. As anyone who's been on the podcast can attest, one of the hardest things is to listen to your own voice. To have your laughs compared to 13-year-old giggles is really shitty. <laughs> I'm reminded of something I read a few weeks ago, which is that you should never comment about something that a person can't do anything about in five minutes. In other words... If someone has food on their face, tell them. If someone has a mole, shut the fuck up about it. <laughs> Same with laughs. People can't help the way they laugh unless they're faking it. You guys aren't, which is why we laugh along with you. Anyway, ignore that shit and giggle on. P.S. Jody says, tell those ladies I could listen to their giggles 25-9. Uh, uh, uh. <laughs> uh, uh, uh. I really so, feel like GS had an Oberon moment there. She'll be our champion. <laughs> Yeah, for a baby. Hopefully, it will end better. Oh, that was that was came through. Thank you, thank you, GS. That was really the last week to receive after that. So, thank you so much. It was. We love you, girl. Um, and we've just got the one more from Tumblr, which is from Jess, who is Joyous Follies. Uh, she says another outstanding podcast. My fellow thirteen-year-old virgin gigglers. I'm so happy YD and Chicky were back this week. I missed hearing their sexy voices last Me week. Me too. Uh, yeah, baby. This is slightly awkward, but YD, I <laughs> loved your discussion about Theon and Balon. First, you give me way too many feels about Jamie and Brienne, and now Theon. I don't know how you do it, but your remarkable acumen of characters gives me life. Never stop shining. I fully Aww. expect the next episode to be introduced as Welcome to Backdoor Podcast, a song of ice and fire podcast with heavy leanings to my favourite enigmatic structure, the moon. The <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I love this. for my plans. I failed. I, I failed. I should have did that. Ah, next time. Next time. Make it a note. Never stop the giggles. And Jess, I think I can safely say we will never stop the giggles. So we couldn't if we wanted to. Thank you, Jess. Such a lovely message. Thank you so much, Jess. Thank and you. that is all thank yous. 
Awesome. Thank you for reading those. Okay. So if you would like to send us a message, you can at close the door and at gmail.com. You can reach us on Tumblr at close the door and come here.tumblr.com. Um, our Twitter is door podcast. If you'd like to follow us I there. I thought it was door podcast. No, that's some other guys. Some other it's not even that interesting. Don't bother checking them out. <laughs> <laughs> I did. I was thoroughly disappointed. <laughs> Remember to like and review us on iTunes. Um, they have iTunes in the UK, really. <laughs> Just curious. <laughs> we have iTunes in the UK. Yes. <laughs> Just checking. It's not really We don't get reviews from the UK. <laughs> no reason. Just checking. <laughs> I had to. Okay. I had to. <laughs> okay, so that's it. <laughs> no, sincerely, thank you for podcasting with us, Red Leaf. Sorry for putting you on the uh, spot yeah, there. Thanks for moderating. <laughs> Have a good night or good day. Take care. Bye. 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 Bye.